From South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus, and this is Pod SB. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Miles Robertson, you are here on the debut video podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. You have a sweet setup here. I knew you were working here for a while, but I didn't know really what it was. You know, I had kind of a vision in mind, but it's, it's much cooler over here than I anticipated. And I already thought it was going to be cool. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we got, I, I like, I point out a few of the features here. So we have Mary McGraw, former Notre Dame student, now living in Ireland. This is a print of hers from, from Europe. I, I don't particularly remember where in Europe she shot this. Got the bird flying away, though. We got the sticker here, West SB sticker on the library cart, our uh, file cabinet table, uh, Street Dreams magazine. Which I just thumbed through for the first time. It's, it's uh, very in line with, I think, what your style of photography is. Yeah, it's a few photographers in New York who just decided that they were tired working their jobs and wanted to show they wanted to get paid to do photography, so they started a magazine nice. showing their work, kind of like I started a website. Cool. Um, and that's the space. Candles burning, of course. Uh, I'm a candle person, so yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad we're here. Sweet. So why don't you tell us who you are? What, what are like the things we need to know about you? Okay. Um, well, I'm from Goshen. I think Goshen's kind of cool, so I, I feel like I still kind of identify with, with Goshen. Yeah. Um, but I live in South Bend now. I've lived here for probably nine years or so. Uh, went to college at IUSB, graduated in 2012. I studied sustainability there. Uh, I'm the general manager at Purple Porch Co-op, where I've, in college, I volunteered there. I was on the board at one point. I helped open the store. And a couple of weeks ago, I became the general manager, and um, it's uh, luckily, I mean, I've been there a while, so I, I know the staff. I've trained a lot of them in the past, and uh, I know the things that are going well in the store, and I know the things we need to work on just from the years of being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the transition from kind of, like, front-end manager to general manager hasn't hasn't been wildly difficult yeah um i'm learning a lot which is which is cool and um i think the kind of bringing the staff along with me so especially on financial literacy um you know we kind of pearl porch really approaches things from a triple bottom line approach so it's kind of people planet and profit right kind of those three areas right um and uh you know the 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 profit side of of things is is um an emphasis of mine right now because we really do the people part well. We really do the planet part well as far as sourcing ethically, sourcing from local sources, um, paying fair wages to employees and to our producers. And so now let's let's get that third kind of leg in line. Um, and then I also am a co-founder of the Bird Cell Project. Yeah. Uh, which hasn't been very active in 2017, so I don't feel like I have anything too exciting to say about what we're doing. Um, um, kind of an extension of the Bird Cell Project, because I, I don't really put 
strong barriers between like certain parts of my life. Um, but I, I feel like it's kind of an extension. Like I wouldn't, I do house concerts pretty regularly at yeah. my house. And, you know, if, if I hadn't, if the Bird Cell Project hadn't been so active in visual art and music the past couple of years, I probably wouldn't have, you know, gone in that direction. Um, so, yeah, I do house concerts. This year I've probably averaged about one every three weeks. Wow. Um, I've got two more coming up in December, uh, one on the second with Leo Cardozo. Um, he's a Venezuelan uh, mandolin player. It's a new trio he put together. Um, and then December 30th, uh, Rick Chime, yeah. he's a rapper from Grand Rapids area. He's coming down, oh. and he's going to be backed by After Hours. So it's going to be this kind of yeah. live music hip-hop uh, show. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, I think the last one we had, oh, we had Tambor from Nashville. She mm -hmm. plays a harp and sings, and she's got a drummer and a violin player. It's kind of this uh, chamber folk, um, like progressive chamber folk. It's, it's really, it's got this really cool feeling. And uh, Billy East and College Boy did a hip hop show at my place. So yeah. I've been staying busy with that. Um, so yeah, right now between Purple Porch and uh, house concerts, that's kind of where all my time is spent. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that Rick Chime is coming. Yeah. I love Rick Chime. He, uh, he's awesome. When I was doing the daily vlog, he and I had a, a quick back and forth on Facebook about that because he started to do a daily, um, daily release of like music or a video of some sort. Uh, and so we had talked about kind of the benefits and drawbacks of doing like a daily thing. Gotcha. So you've said before that you, the Purple Porch kind of kept you in South Bend. You, you, outside of the Purple Porch, you may have ended up somewhere else. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, out of, right out of college, I got a job at, um, in the Office of Sustainability at Notre Dame, and I worked there for a year. And it just, for whatever reason, wasn't the right fit for me at, at the time. Um, and so I ended up getting a job with the state park system in Indiana. So I was an, an interpretive naturalist in three parks. So basically, I led people on hikes, um, tree identification. I was in Turkey Run and Shade State Park, which uh -huh. have really interesting geology. So I do geology hikes. I did the planetarium show, some historic uh, like site um, uh, tours. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of a little bit of history, like natural history, a little bit of um, kind of human history. And um, really enjoyed that. It was seasonal work, though. So I eventually moved uh, up and, and worked at uh, Potato Creek here closer to South Bend. Yep. And that's, that's a great park as well. Um, I think the, it's, it's a park that's so close to such a large urban environment that I think that it's, it's so valuable to, to South, like the South Bend, St. Joe County area. Um, you know, Turkey Run is really 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 cool yeah. geologically speaking yeah. and unique in indiana but i think that county has like ten thousand people in it yeah so you really have to travel to get there potato creek is like in our backyard right uh, and i feel I like. like people from south bend have not been to turkey run when i ask people 
Yeah, I mean, it's a. I think it's the most visited park in Indiana. It definitely gets a lot of people from Illinois. It's, yeah, it's not too far from the border. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we were tracking like by county, like where people come from. I'm sure the state has some right data on that, but um, all three parks were great. Really enjoyed the work, but it was time for Purple Porch to open, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I stayed in South Bend, and uh, you know, it, as a lot of things, they don't happen as quickly as you want. So it kind of kept getting put off. Like the opening date kept getting put off and put off and put off you know, month by month. And eventually I'm like, oh man, I guess I got to go get a job. Um, I was yeah. doing odd jobs here and there throughout the winter, um, which was also fun, but not a lot of stability right. that way. And so I applied for a job um, with the Mona Lake Committee out in California and applied, got the job, was super excited. And I was going to be in South Bend for six weeks while per- as like from the opening date of purple porch okay so i said okay you know i'll be here six weeks i'll help get shelves set up i'll help get stuff on the shelves i'll help with the point of sale system i'll be a cashier and i think like two weeks into that i'm like you know we really focus on local food and it's a lot that's a lot of things to juggle you should consider hiring someone to be the local food purchaser yeah Um, because you know, your store has a produce buyer, your store has a grocery buyer, your store has a refrigerated buyer. If your focus is local food, given the nature of, like, the, I guess how, how direct that is, there aren't a lot of distributors right. um, shipping out some of those products. You're getting them direct from a farm or direct from a baker. Um, it's a lot of relationships to juggle. So, so I proposed that someone do it, and they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I, I couldn't resist. So nice. four years later almost, I'm still here and still at Purple Porch. Yeah. Did you, at the time, did you think that it would, you'd be here that long? No. Uh, I think generally, for whatever reason, I think of my life in two-year periods. Yeah. Um, so I think when I initially started there i was thinking two years and then i think nine months in we got a grant from the usda for it's the lfpp grant it's the the local food promotion program okay um basically a grant from the usda to help grow local production or sales of local food yeah um so and you know tons of different types of businesses could apply but we we got one and so then i was and and since it was for local food and I was the local food buyer, then I was think and that was a that grant ran for two years. Then I was thinking, okay, two years from that, so it'd be a three year right. three year total. Right. And then that came to an end, and I was still there. And um, I mean, what, what's part of I guess a, what's partly great about a startup is that I mean, at least if you like doing different things every day, is there's something new always popping up. Right. So, you know, when I first, when we first opened, I was a cashier and then I kind of became like the lead cashier and I knew the point of sale system pretty well. Um, And then I did the local food purchasing and then I did marketing for a while. Um, And then I did more of the purchasing for the store and then I started doing data analysis. Um, And so like every 
six months, there was kind of a new challenge to take on, a new thing we needed to do that I, you know, that I saw that I wanted to maybe work on and would jump into it. Right. So now I feel that's kind of how I feel about the the GM position. Is yeah. It's the same store, but I get to look at it from a, a new perspective a little bit. Right. And so in the, but in the middle of doing all these different jobs at the Purple Porch, you also start the Bird Cell Project. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which 2014 is, was a really weird and busy year yeah. for me. The first, so we opened in late February. Okay. And um, I, none, none of us that were there in the beginning, like really remember the first six months. Yeah. Because we worked like 80 hours a week for six months. Um, I remember, you know, getting up at like six to go in and leaving at like midnight to go home and sleep and, <laughs> and do it the next day. Yeah. Uh, we were only open seven days a, or six days a week then. Okay. So I think I got, but Sunday was like, okay, we, we need to reset this shelf. This isn't, you know, it was like yeah. things we didn't get through to during the week. Um, but yeah, that same year, um, I think it was July 20th, um, Nalani Stoltz and I, we were painting a mural at the co-op, actually. Um, on the back On the back side, yeah. yeah. So we were, we were uh, yeah, painting that and listening to some music and um, talking about art. And then we got dinner afterwards, and we were continued talking about art and this idea that... Uh, so her, she's an artist, and I, I don't know what... I consider myself more of like a community organizer or something to that right. effect right. um so we were talking about art installations and i thought it'd be really cool to do art installations in old abandoned buildings like we just have so much space here yep. and at the time we were both talking in terms of a house so like three or four artists okay because um, there's i think it was the same time the initiative the uh, where the city thousand was, homes thousand homes a thousand yep. days initiative yeah right so that was something that was on my mind. And I kind of approached it from, oh, it'd be cool to do this, but I don't know any artists that would want to do it. And she was like, I'm an artist that wants to do this. And I didn't know there was anyone that was interested in organizing something like this. Right. Um, so we both became like the person we needed in that <laughs> moment to yeah. make it happen. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really the founding moment of the bird cell project and the next day we got access to the bird cell mansion so it like happened very quickly right and um then that fall and winter we did our first set of installations so we had i want to say there were about 20 artists in that first one it's a huge mansion i think it's yeah sixteen thousand square feet good yeah sweet um yeah, so we had it was we mostly drew from local artists for that. Um, people living in town, some grad students, professors from the universities, um, a couple Notre Dame art classes. Yeah. They did kind of a collective thing in the ballroom on the third floor. Right. Um, and it was all you know. It spanned. We we really were seeking people doing art installation, so kind of large scale immersive work that's. Kind of, and we really wanted people to respond to the space in some way. Um, so, you know, what that meant, that means something different to everyone. But for some people, it meant responding to the kind of decay of the space. Yeah. The holes in the wall, the, yeah. 
the mold that might be somewhere. Uh, for others, it, it meant responding to the history of the building or the materials. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really great experience. And it, um, I think our opening reception, we had 400 people show up. And um, so we did that. We did our first um, group in the mansion. And then we transitioned to making it an art residency. Right. So the next year, we worked in a different location, uh, the Commerce Center in the basement there, which is an old power plant. Yeah. And we had, uh, so we drew artists from around around the world. I mean, mostly from the U.S., but that first year, uh, we also had two artists from South Korea. Um, and so the scope of that space is much larger than yep. the mansion. As big as the mansion is, it's still a home. Uh, whereas this power plant, you know, you're talking like giant concrete rooms with 30 foot ceilings and old generators right. in them. And, right. um, and so, yeah, we did a residency where we housed artists from wherever they wanted to come from for two months, uh, connected them with community organizations. They ins- created and installed work in the space. Um, each week we'd get together for a community dinner where we'd bring in, um, so all the artists would be there, but we'd also bring in a handful of people from the community yeah. that, um, you know, not necessarily directly related to what, like they weren't necessarily artists, but they were community-minded people. They, uh, actually Mayor Pete came that year. Um, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's something we did for two years. And, um, the nature of doing things in kind of old abandoned spaces makes it so that it's always kind of up in the air. Yep. Um, you know, something might pop up and someone's interested in you doing something there and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, or someone that you're currently working with needs the space for something else. And so you move on and, uh, which, you know, that's that kind of like temporality is like interesting to me. Yeah. So it was always fine with us that that might be how how it happens um so yeah that started in 2014 and we're pretty active through the end of 2016 um and then you know it's been nice doing the house concerts because it's a smaller scale it's a lot more controllable i guess there's less variables um and it's it's a little more relaxed i think right yeah yeah and the and the bird cell was like basically bootstrap funded yeah like you you worked to like earn money from the shows and then put that back into it right yeah um i mean we eventually incorporated it's an llc and really how it worked is like our first the first thing we did at the mansion was we got access to it i think in i want to say september uh, like got keys and the alarm yeah. code and went in and cleaned it up. And then we just had a, like, hey, the mansion hasn't been open in uh, over a decade. Come walk through. Like, right. Um, you know, be careful. Here's a flashlight. Check it out. Take some pictures if you want. Yeah. And, you know, we had like 40 people show up and some people gave us donations. And... uh Really, those donations, I think, you know, we got like 40 bucks or something. 
that's what we poured into our first event, which was an album release party for Peter Hosteller. Okay. Um, a, a folk musician. Um, he also grew up in Goshen. Well, lived was born in Goshen, grew up in Turkey, uh, went to Notre Dame. He's currently a social worker in uh, East Lansing, I believe. Okay. Um, did an album release f- for him and... Um, you know, made money off of that. Like Peter made what he needed to. Sade, um, who was a poet who was part of the show, made some, and the Birdsall Project made some, and we just kept doing that each time. We'd make a little bit, and we'd pour it in the next thing, and we'd make a little bit more, and our pot would get a slightly larger. Yeah. Um, and that's how we made it work, is we really right. just did something small and hoped we didn't lose money on it. And then, uh, luckily, we every time we 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 made a little bit, and we got to, you know, build it up to the point where we did a residency where we housed ten artists for two months. Um, yeah, so it's a it was a pretty big endeavor, yeah. I think, for for two of us to kind of take on, uh, but well worth it. And right. um, you know, we're. We're still sitting on a little bit of funding that we raised, so you know if something pops up, right? We've and we've got the time and the space is available. We're we're uh, interested in keeping it going. Yeah, and then we get you know we got other things in the works too. Something we've wanted to do for a long time is a mural residency. Okay, There's, you know, so say bring five to ten muralists here for a month, and five to ten murals go up in that time around the city. Um, I think that would be really cool i think murals really add a lot to a city um well in five to ten like yeah in the span of like how much that transforms right the visuals of the city yeah yeah i think it could be really end up being this kind of city-wide event where people would like walk or drive to see the unveiling of these right and maybe some central location could be a reception so yeah that's something we've been toying with for a while um I kind of am a strike when the iron's hot kind of guy. Yeah. So um, I'll sit on an idea for a little bit and then the right pieces pop into place. And then I'm like, all right, now I'm super gung-ho about this and let's let's get it done. Right. Have you, do you ever think that, like, if you look at the things you're involved with, you're, like, heavily involved with Purple Ports, you started the Bird Cell Project and you're doing these house concerts and... So there's a, a few other people doing house concerts in town, but really I, I think it's fair to say that like you, um, in a in a the most consistent sense, you kind of started this trend some, in in recent history. Yeah, I mean I I, I would definitely say there are people. I mean the tradition of doing house concerts is like yeah. super old. Yeah. But um, and in modern time in South Bend, there were people doing them pretty consistently, but I for whatever reason, they got into doing other things. I right. actually think a lot of the people associated with Lang Lab were involved with doing house concerts for a while. And then, yeah. and then I, I suppose they got Lang Lab, and that's, that takes plenty of energy, I'm sure. Like, who needs to do house concerts when you've got a space like that? <laughs> right. And, um, and then the pool um, yep. at Central High, they did house con- – well, I mean, it was kind of like – it was, it was a house concert um, feeling for sure. And they did those pretty consistently for two or three years, I think. Yeah. And uh, and then I feel like there was this kind of period where there weren't many going on. 
but I also wasn't that tied into that culture at that time. Right. Um, I know some people in River Park, uh, like Nat Fitzgerald, yep. and I got to imagine Patrick Quigley's done some house concerts. Right. I think they've been probably doing them for a while. They're anytime a musician is touring through the area, and they're at all interested in what they're doing, they're gonna they'll throw a show together. And I I bet if there's not a venue, they usually host them in their house. So right. Um, now I mean I don't really stake any claim to yeah anything on the local scene for that other than I uh, I do them very consistently now. And right. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not seeking to uh, state claim for you. <laughs> what I'm thinking is if you look at these different things you're involved in, these are things that um, you wouldn't necessarily think exist in a city like South Bend. It's like a mid-sized city in the middle of the country. You wouldn't think that uh, local food could thrive um, or even like you know survive in terms of like having a, a co-op downtown with this local food or an artist residency. I mean, that's the crazy, right? Like that artists would come from around the country and stay in South Bend and create art um, or that there would be these consistent house concerts that I mean, many times are um, preferable to musicians, mm-hmm. right? Versus like doing shows at, at other more, maybe more established bars or venues, right? So do you ever find that interesting that you're, you're involved in these things that are um, somewhat maybe peculiar, peculiar, however you say that, for this area of the country, but you're also doing it in a way that's using the assets of this country, or of this piece of the country, right? Like the, the space is one right. thing you talked about. That kind of plays into multiple of these things, right? Like it's rare that it's rare that like someone our age would have a house large enough that we could do Mm -hmm. house concerts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I look at it a little bit. Um, people follow opportunity, I think, um, whether they like are actively doing it and are conscious of it or not. I think that's kind of how things work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it can show itself in a lot of different ways, but yeah, here it's, relatively inexpensive to live in South Bend. And there's a large proportion of our built environment that is vacant. Um, That's becoming less so. Yeah. Um, I guess on both accounts, it's becoming a little more expensive to live here, and it's a little harder to find spaces, I think. Um, But, you know, it... I guess in the beginning it surprised me that people were like eager to come to South Bend to live here for two months and do an artist residency. Yeah. But I would say like two years after the fact, I look at it more like these people were just interested in expressing themselves and South Bend was currently the place that was able to make that work for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, they're, you know, like you would think, oh man, you know, Chicago must have something like that. It's more difficult in Chicago uh, because they've already, I mean, they're, they've got a really established, formalized um, art scene. And they've also, like, cost of living is expensive and cost of renting a space is expensive. Right. Here, 
we didn't run into those hiccups. Right. So it was kind of this weird, like, joining of it can't happen here because it hasn't been done and we're, like, small and still, like, figuring out who we are. Yeah. But it has to happen here because once you find your identity, the opportunities for things like this don't exist as much. Yeah. So I feel like... Oh, sorry. I feel like it was just this... uh this like moment in time where those two worlds were colliding and we, like in the Venn diagram, we were right in the middle. Um, that's kind of how I look at it right now. Yeah. 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 I, when I talk to people about, you know, why, why should you do something in South Bend? I often look at the difference between like consuming or creating. And I talk like if, if you're really interested in just spending your life consuming, then yeah, maybe go to Chicago. Uh, you might enjoy yourself more. There's there's more restaurants, right? There's mm-hmm. more of the a variety for you. Um, but if you if you want to create anything, I think you might be better off here. There's like you said this. I mean, there in Chicago we wouldn't have space to do this, right? Right. Like there's like we'd be held up in your studio apartment, like in your bedroom in the corner, crammed yeah. in. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, sitting on my bed, leaning on pillows. Yeah, to do, which yeah. would be fine too. Yeah, and there are people doing that. And right, it's cool. But yeah, we have this luxury of like wide open, just, just so many spots to do things like this that are right. That are just people might be interested in just letting you use them, or yeah. rent will be cheap for a while. Right. So. Yeah, and I think the the funny like thing is if you stick around long enough to like create something you end up being pretty happy with the like consumption side as well like there's I feel no lack of like places to enjoy myself and like eat food and yeah and the unique thing here is you even know the people doing it right like we both know many of the people who own or run like establishments where we you know spend time at which yeah. is another kind of unique piece, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's very Midwestern yeah. still. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're, what, 100,000 people, but, I mean, really, this, like, super active, like, downtown, I guess, enclave is, um, you know, everyone's pretty, like, business owners are pretty friendly to one another, and you can strike up a conversation with everyone. Yeah. If, uh, I feel like this size city allows for that. I feel like Chicago may not. And like, I mean, I grew up in Goshen. Goshen's a little smaller. Their downtown is actually really dense and active. Right. And it has a lot of cool stuff going on. I get a similar vibe, probably even more so in Goshen, that like, I I haven't lived there in almost 10 years. But I go there and I run into people I know everywhere. And it's, I mean, it's super friendly. Actually, I love Goshen, but it's like almost too friendly for me. <laughs> it's like, I kind of describe it as it's friendly in like a Stepford Wives way. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's, what's under here. (laughs) Like, why, why is this happening? Right. But, you know, I mean, I say that jokingly, like everyone, I think they are genuinely nice. Like they're not, they're not seedy, like space robots or anything. But, um, I had a couple of friends go to Goshen a, a week ago to go to the electric brew and they came back and were like, there were carolers like in the street when we pulled into Goshen. Like, what's going on? I was like, yeah, Goshen's a 
Ghostin's like a a movie. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. It's well, part of what makes it so nice and why I think it's so active right now is that in the seventies, when a lot of buildings in South Bend were being torn down or the facades being changed to reflect that era, Goshen just mothballed a lot of its buildings. Yeah. And they remained the same. And then when the time was right and people were interested in moving back to a city, there they were. And they have these beautiful old brick, right? you know, architecture everywhere. Right. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about what's next. Well, possibly what's next, right? There's potential for like future bird cell project stuff. Um, there's future house concert plans, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple coming up soon, but I also, April 6th, 7th, and 8th, I'm organizing a house concert festival. Yeah. Uh, which I actually just got a $1,000 grant from the Awesome Fund, the South Bend Awesome Fund for that. So thanks for that, everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that for that, I've that was one of those ideas that, like, I think a year into doing house concerts, I'm like, oh, man it'd be cool to do a house concert festival. And then probably three months ago, I like just started going at it. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but yeah. in that moment I was like, oh, now it's time to organize this. So I, I started mapping using, it's my maps. It's like a Google okay. Drive extension. Um, mapping all the potential house concert venues in South Bend. So I, you know, word of mouth or like, shoot people email or Facebook message or people would come to my house for a show and they'd say, Hey, I want to do a house concert. Yeah. So I'd take down their address. I'd map it on this. And then I'd also, I started mapping, uh, like potential homestays cause this will be, it'll have local musicians, but also have touring musicians. Right. Um, and so places for them to stay during this. So I kind of have like two layers on there. And I kind of color coded it. I was having a lot of fun. This is all using on like it. the my maps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you know from that I started looking. Okay, so it would be really cool to cluster these shows in a way that like one day there could be three shows and you could walk or ride your bike to each of them because they're all within like a half mile or yeah. something. Um, so that's kind of the stage I'm in right now as far as like I have a bunch of people interested in using their house as a venue. And now it's more about piecing that puzzle together of like this day with this band in this location along with these others. Right. And I'm kind of in the midst of that. Um, and I've booked, a, I've probably booked half the bands now. Um, well, it, you know, it's spanning from individual singer songwriter to um, there'll be an improvisational set. Okay. Um, I'm hoping to have at least one hip hop artist. So. Yep. You know, I'm trying to the folk morph format works really well for a house concert. Yeah. But I want it I want it there to be a little bit for, for everyone. Yeah. Um so yeah, I've booked probably half the bands and it's it's gonna be a combination of musicians I've met over the years personally that have maybe played a house concert at my place or played at the Birdsell Mansion or played at the Commerce Center and then musicians that uh, or maybe like one step away from them, so like friends of theirs. Yeah. That's kind of how the network has grown as far as bands I book. Yeah. And then, you know, I've kind of solicited ideas from other people 
in South Bend that know a lot of regional musicians and kind of going through some of their music and seeing what might fit and then contacting some of them and seeing what days work and, and how we can make that happen. Right. And, nice. and the, yeah, the general format of my shows is doors open an hour, hour before music. Music goes for 75 minutes straight. It's just one, one group. Uh, and then people can just hang out as long as they want yeah. uh, after. Try to play some like music, like vinyl, before and after that's kind of complementary right. to the, to the yeah. music. Yeah, it's as much a social event as it is just listening to music. Yeah. It's also like social between the artists and the uh, listeners, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a great place for musicians to sell merch for sure. Um, but then also like, you know, if I do a show in my house, I don't really have overhead. I mean, right. I paid my utilities already. It doesn't really change anything in terms of my expenses. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, partially because of that, and I keep it to just one band. I don't just fill the night with a bunch of like, then, Oh man, I have to pay 12 people. Um, you know, it's like one to five people. Um, it's much easier for me to pay them all well. Um, in that, with that format and, and it's all donation based. So people that come to the show donate, you know, anywhere from kind of suggested donation is usually like five to 15. Yep. Um, depending on kind of where the group's coming from and you know, what they're used to getting at other venues they play. Right. Um, but generally we exceed that, like, you know, we, um, People are pretty generous, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Sweet. Which the, which is interesting. Like I feel like psychologically, I was just talking with this someone yesterday. If I said it was a ten dollar cover, I feel like I might only have twenty people show up, and they'll pay the ten dollars, and there's two hundred bucks. If I say suggested donation of ten dollars, I'll get forty five people to co to come, and people will give between five and fifteen. Yeah. But we'll probably end up with three hundred dollars, right. you know. So it's right. That's kind of fascinating to me, yeah. um, which I think is also like I feel uh, I feel like it makes me feel like slightly optimistic when I'm not maybe that optimistic about things. Uh, is that when presented with the opportunity to do the right thing or you know be generous and support a musician or an artist they really like? If they have the opportunity, then they feel like it's in their power to make the decision. Yeah, they make they make a good decision, right? Like a, a helpful decision, you know. Um, so I I like that yeah. part of it, um, and I don't have to. Then I also feel like also if I did if I said cover, and then not everyone paid, then I would feel bad, right? Right. I'd be like, I can't believe these people came and they didn't pay. It was a cover. <laughs> right. A suggested donation, like, I'm free, they're free. And then at the end, the musician gets paid better than what they would have if I were really, like, strict about it. So it's a, it's a fun, like, case study, I think, of how humans yeah. interact. Right. Wow. And then the Purple Porch. Yeah. So... Recently took over as GM. Um, you've made some changes in the store. I mean, even like visually, there's some changes, right? But yeah, I mean, when I came on board, I mean, it was really a little bit of freshening up the store, which you helped with. Um, and um, 
you know, for me, a lot of it's really been the main thing I've been, I mean, one of the main things I've been focusing on would be just personnel. So we have really great staff. Yeah. We have people that, like, they enjoy working there. They work there because the culture that is the co-op. They work, like, they could work somewhere else, but they choose to work there. Right. Um, when you have that sort of buy-in, like, I think it's really important to engage those people in a meaningful way. Um, and so that that's kind of been my focus is, like, I guess, like, staff growth. So, like, sending staff to conferences. Yeah. Um, you know, training them on new parts of the business that they're very capable of doing but hadn't had the opportunity to do in the past. Mm. Um, kind of, you know, so kind of, I mean, roughly, like, kind of delegating some tasks out that, so that they can be done better, done be done by more people, so each of us can, like, specialize and focus on doing what part of the business we really need to do well. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been a big focus of mine, and I, I think it's really paid off already um i mean the co-op's always been a great place to work um but i feel right now like i feel like the staff is as as together as we've we've ever been um and that that's exciting it just makes it fun to go into work every day right which is it's kind of i mean that's that's like the dream right Yeah. yeah you like wake up go do something you enjoy doing with people you enjoy doing it with. Right. So, so that's, that's, that's been a big push of mine and kind of open book management. That's something we've attempted to kind of do at the co-op for a while, but, um, I feel like I'm really gaining some traction on making that a reality. Um, I'm actually currently reading a book on open book management. Um, and, um, you know, we do a huddle each day at two thirty-five. Yeah. So, like, right in the middle of the day, shifts are changing, so we can touch base with a lot of different people. Um, people from the office, people from the kitchen, people from the front, all get together in the back hallway, and we spend five to fifteen minutes together. Just here's where we're at for the day. Here's where we're at for the week. Here are some goals we've set. You know, hey, we got two new member owners today yeah. here are their names this is what we know about them like you know they oh they work in the neighborhood he's an architect or whatever it may be um the kitchen will kind of use us as guinea pigs for new recipes they're doing mm-hmm. new products that come in we might sample them out to staff and see what everyone thinks um so it's not it's not the format is do it every day at at the same time whoever's in the store comes and maybe there's like a couple things that you talk about every day, but then it's a little bit more open. Right. Um, you know, if we have an event coming up, you know, say it's Wednesday, we have an event coming up Friday, that's probably a good time for us to say, okay, we've got some handbills out at the register that's really make sure we talk to people that are coming in about this. Right. Or, um, hey, we've got, you know, the kitchen got a catering job this day, but they're going to be a little short-staffed. Right. Would someone in the front be willing to wash dishes for a night, you know, something like that. Just, it's really about communication. Yeah. Um, and I think it ties nicely into open book management. Right. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It may be a little boring to some people, but. But I think for people shopping at the co-op and like member owners, like even if they're not that interested in it, like there's value in knowing that 
you're doing that. Yeah. Well, right. and occasionally, like, we'll have uh, someone making a delivery, like a local farmer during that time. Those happen to be there. And we're like, hey, do you want to come to the huddle and talk to us about what you do? Yeah. Um, so that's, I feel like that's helpful from the staff's perspective because then they have a better understanding of the products, the produce they're getting from this person. And I think from the producer's standpoint, they're like, wow, this store really cares about what we're doing. You know, yeah. it's not, I, I think of the co-op as an exchange of ideas more than an exchange of goods. Um, you know, I think people come there for the experience as much as they do for the products. And, and in some cases, the products are like laden with that experience. Mm. Um, so, so that's why it's, that's why I enjoy working there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I enjoy working there as well. Oh, I'm glad to I hear I guess it. we didn't say that yeah. at all, but I do work for the co-op. Yeah, so, so. Jacob does all of our marketing. Um, so, like, I mean, social media is a big part of it, but also handbills you'll see in the store, table toppers, posters. He painted the front wall, the photography on the front walls. Or those are his, and we'll probably rotate those out. Um, messages you might hear on WVPE the local NPR station, Jacob and I kind of together come up with those. Um, we recently renewed a contract with Edible Michiana. So, you know, for 2018, we'll have uh, something in, in there quarterly. Um, so that'll be something that will be Jacob's work. Yeah. Um, kind of video, been doing a little more video. Yeah. Um, which I think is has been great for us, particularly... The burrito video. The burrito. You did. Yeah. People still comment on that, like in the store. Right. You know, and even the, the we had a consultant come in at Purple Porch a couple weeks ago and right. she mentioned that. She's like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. Like embed a video in your cover photo of a business. Right. <laughs> so it's some next level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I feel like we have covered to your life, at least yeah. currently. Yeah. So... That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me here. I'm uh, I'm glad I could be your guinea pig. Yeah, for this. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, we're also recording this as a video today. So you might be watching this here. I can turn my mic so I can look at the camera there. You might be watching this on YouTube or on Facebook. This will be on both those places. Maybe clips will end up on Twitter. But you can also listen in the Apple Podcasts store, or you can go to westsb.com, and the video and audio will both be there. So, yeah. This awesome. is our third recording of the show, first video. Cool. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me, and um, thank, thank you for watching and listening. Yeah. I'll see you around, I'm sure.